Well, hello everyone. It's Jenna Moore, performance dietitian, here to tell you about our new episode of the Whole Healing Podcast, Mind, Body, and Food. Today we are meeting with Jack O'Connor. Jack, you guys, is the first dietitian that I ever hired, or one of them at least, and he has been with me through Inc. this entire time. I cannot tell you how blessed I am to know this human being. He is such a driver. He is one of the most phenomenal sports dietitians I've ever met, ever, and he's innovative, um, which is what I really love about him. He talks about ashwagandha. He talks about um, herbal supplements to help with athletes. He really passionately cares about his athletic population, and so today we're talking just straight up sports nutrition, and so if you're in for like the latest cues and the latest tips on sports nutrition. This is a really good podcast to listen to, and I hope you enjoy all the love. The Whole Healing Podcast. Healing through nutrition by connecting your mind, body, and food. that um what, what you did with ashwagandha I, I try and explain it to people but i feel like you can explain it so much better so can you can you kind of explain what adaptogens are and what they what they do in the body yeah absolutely uh adaptogens are amazing to start off with they're my they're for sure my favorite class of herb which really falls into this like category of medicinal plants that ultimately allow your body to adapt to physiological and psychological stressors. Uh, so it's, it's pretty broad. Um, some of the underlying mechanisms uh, so far that we're seeing in the research are related to like these bioactive compounds, but um, with specifically with ashwagandha, there's these compounds called with analyze uh, and they appear to work like synergistically to act on the serotonergic system, so like serotonin, and uh, they can improve GABA receptors and modulate cortisol. So that's kind of ultimately how it, it relates to stress. Uh, and over time, when you take ashwagandha for an extended period of time, that's when you really see the most uh, benefit. And that, that applies to all adaptogens. There's a few others like rhodiola, uh, shisandra berry, um, but ashwagandha I think is my favorite and it seems to be like the most researched at this time that's kind of big picture 
uh, and some of the details too when it comes to mechanisms. Okay, that's that's incredible. I didn't I didn't know that about the bioactive compounds in ashwagandha. So, and, and I guess my understanding of adaptogens is they help the body adapt to stress both on the high end of stress and on the low end of stress. Is that true? It it is. So it, it's it's almost sounds too good to be true, but it's uh I I like to describe it to people as something that that keeps you middle. It keeps you, you know, center. So really, if it helps you where you need to be helped, if you are on the low end, when it comes to, uh, let's say, stress and anxiety, uh, it, it can bring you back um, to a more calm state. If you are on the on the uh, the high end, or it goes both ways, right? So if you're low, it gets you high, high brings you down. Um, and it just kind of keeps you steady, keeps you calm, this like level of focus. And like, I don't know, a lot of people probably can relate to this if you have like this uh, um, internal dialogue kind of throughout your day that, you know, sometimes gets more loud and it it, it talks harshly at you. That that really quiets down from my personal experience when you have ashwagandha uh, over a prolonged period of time. That's incredible. Um, so what are you what are you dosing as far as ashwagandha for like an athlete on an average day? Like what's what's a really effective dose? Yeah, great question. Uh, so what I have seen and what I've studied personally with with my own research, the most effective dose is 700 milligrams a day of full spectrum extract. So you have to be a pretty uh, careful and selective when it comes to the source of herbs, right? As we know, like they're not all created equal, just like dietary supplements. You have to be very careful of the source. Uh, there, there are a few brands that I, that I like more than others that I trust when it comes to their, their sourcing. So what is the full spectrum piece of that, um, of the ashwagandha? So it, it pretty much has, um, a, a guaranteed percentage of these with analytes that I was talking about. So those are those compounds um, and, and they test for purity and potency of those compounds. So, you know, sometimes when you see ashwagandha on, you know, uh, on the back of a label that uh, is like this, this supplement that's marketed towards stress reduction and it just says ashwagandha root um, and maybe it doesn't specify full spectrum, full, full spectrum extract. It may not have all of those beneficial compounds um, because it wasn't harvested in the best way. And so it may not be as effective. Genius. And so let me ask you like a, like a very, um, like a very bigger picture question with that. So let's say an athlete does take 700 milligrams of full, full spectrum ashwagandha. Um, how long can they expect to, um, like how long does it take to, for them to really expect yeah. to see changes? And, and, and two, how does that affect their, their gut health and overall mental health? Another great question. So it has been shown that at least four weeks you have to be consistent with to, to reap the benefits and a more longer is better. So um, there's even more favorable research to say at least two months, but I would say at the bare minimum four weeks. And again, it has this, it has this accumulation effect. So it's not going to be like your typical, you know, sup or some supplements and drugs, right? That we take, we feel an immediate effect. Caffeine, you take it, you feel you feel jolt because it's a central nervous stimulant. Uh, you take Advil, you get relief 
from, you know, headaches. That's that's not what adaptogens are and ashwagandha is. You have to kind of trust the process and take it over time. Um, and then you'll notice, you know, one, two, three months in, it's like, wow, I just feel good. I feel happy. I feel I feel level. Uh, and that's kind of the best way I can describe it. Wow. And then the, the second, what was the second part? So, because um, I'm just curious, like, so how does that relate to, um, like, obviously, if you're less stressed, if you feel more leveled and more centered, mm -hmm. your mental health is going to be better all around. Yeah. But how does that affect yeah. that health? I do know, uh, you know, some herbs can pretty much like almost act like a, like a prebiotic in the body. And so they can eventually uh go through this the series of you know it can release metabolites in the gut like short chain fatty acids which can then play a role on on our mental well-being and like release of certain hormones i just don't know for sure if ashwag ashwagandha's role with that and i would just i guess my, where i'm coming from is i was just thinking about stress and how that affects the gut oh um, definitely. i don't know but I, I, see, I see what you're saying. Like, there's probably no direct literature showing the effects of gut health with ashwagandha supplementation. But I guess yeah, from I wouldn't be surprised though. I wouldn't be. It's, it is a super herb. <laughs> uh, right, right, for sure. So I mean, huh? And I would think because like what I've read in the research is that independent of location or um, origin in the body, inflammation has an effect on gut. Because if you mm -hmm. have cortisol, it's it's the enteric nervous system, right? It's the nervous system that affects stress. And so if we have the gut brain access, that's feeding cortisol or feeding serotonin mm -hmm. and dopamine up, you know what I mean? Um, cortisol down, whatever it is, the, the idea that like our intestinal permeability alters itself. Like I just, I see such a systematic effect of this happening, um, on, on such a, on such a whole person level, you know what yeah. I mean? You make it, you make a good point. I think it's important to kind of zoom out and, uh, and think of it that way. Cause that, if you look at the. Yeah, the potential of the indirect effect, right? If yeah, if ashwagandha and herbs like this can reduce stress, and stress is for sure correlated with poor gut health and uh, and overall, you know, effects on wellness, then yeah, you could you could make that that link absolutely. Ooh, I love that because I think I don't think a lot of athletes, and what I've read in the research is that as many as sixty five percent of athletes experience gut issues, and it's no surprise, mm -hmm. right? They put our, we we put ourselves through so much stress, <laughs> and we don't. Mm -hmm. notice it because oh. we're so conditioned but yeah it for sure and that um that you know if we wanted to go down that uh alley we could too because I, i'm pretty fascinated with with the role that the gut you know plays with with athletes and Please. you know because th th there seems to be this this happy ground and um first off there's like this there's this bi-directional relationship you could say when it comes to gut health and athletic performance, like one helps the other, right? And it goes both ways. However, I think a lot of it comes down to um, type of exercise and intensity of exercise. So it's there's been a lot of a lot of studies that show if you if you uh, exercise too much at a very very high intensity and it's excessive and the duration is very very high, um, we're talking like ultra endurance athletes then there could definitely be a detrimental effect on, on the gut. Um, and that could be related to like how, how, uh, when you exercise at a high, high level, you are pulled your blood actually basically high intensity exercise can redistribute your blood causing a lack of blood flow to the gut. 
Okay. And so that can lead to what you were saying, which is intestinal permeability and inflammation. Okay. So excessive exercise, not maybe not great for the gut and then sedentary, right? Lifestyle when you're not active at all, that also is not great for like the diversity of the gut. So that, that middle ground appears to be the best when we're talking like moderate intensity, you know, maybe staying in that zone two, zone three, uh, level of heart rate over time, uh, appears to have the most favorable effect, not only with gut health, but longevity. So, and I hope you don't mind me asking, cause you say zone two, zone three, and for, and for those who don't understand, like, I, I usually like to use RPEs. That's just how I've learned, but like on a scale of mm-hmm. one to 10, like if one's like you're sitting down or, or just chilling at your desk mm-hmm. and is like, I am about to throw up. I'm so exhausted. Like yep. where does that zone two, zone three fall? That would be six to eight. So, um, and you can, and that follows with like heart rate. So, uh, zone two is about 60 to 65% of your max heart rate. Okay. So that, that's kind of the the best and easiest way to determine like intensity of exercise, most practical way I could say. Um, so, so going up, yeah, I would say overall staying between 60 and 80% of, uh, max heart rate, VO2 max is is ideal when we're talking um gut health and and longevity now of course you're not always gonna you know there's gonna be times when you're gonna reach a much higher level now when you're playing sport and all that but on average right when you when you look at where your heart rate is over the course of your full session that's that's the gold kind of standard but i think you know so jack i don't know if you've noticed this but i think what happens with a lot of athletes especially when they get conditioned or when they're in like their peak part of their season, or even at the end of the season is they're just so they're in shape. And so they really don't have that gauge for exhaustion, it seems like. And so when you get to mm-hmm. the chronic zone nine and your, and your, and your blood flow isn't going to your gut and you're mm-hmm. chronically under fueling and our bodies go through adaptation and we don't necessarily feel the pain or the resistance because our bodies are in survival mode. Like how, how do you counsel an athlete or how do you talk to an athlete and, and let them know like, Hey, like your body's actually shutting down and you don't know it because you're in survival mode. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that, that's a, that's a tough thing. I, um, you know, I'd probably position it in, in, by, by helping the, the client or the athlete really zoom out and say, wait, what if, you know, if your long-term performance and long-term health matters to you, uh, then it's, it's best to, to not overdo it. And I, and I, I think, um, God, there's so many athletes that I, that I have even played with myself and that I've worked with that always think more is better, you know, and, and they don't sometimes don't even believe in like this overtraining, right. Philosophy or mindset, but it's very real. You know, we're not, we're not built to, to just go all out four hours a day, um, you know, grinding and grinding the body will, it will fail. And there's so many signs of that. So I think I would, I would just talk about like longevity as an athlete and, and as a, as a human. And if you, if you really care um, and you want to, you want, you know, I would obviously come the, your, their goals play a huge role here. Are you trying to make it to the professional level? If so, the name of the game at that level is, is being durable and lasting. And the only way you can do that is if, is if you, if you give yourself enough rest and, uh, and you, and you control your overall intensity. 
I really like the idea that like um, there are no shortcuts. <laughs> People think that they can shortcut yeah. by working harder, but but you end up running yourself dry that way, and and you really don't get ahead. It, like the way to get ahead is to is to is to play play the game and 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 um, and recover. And yeah, yeah, it's just like work. You know, we we gotta give ourselves some rest or recovery here and there so that we can be the best in our own career. You know, you, you can't go all out all the time. Um, and so I think it applies to most most areas. I love life. that. That's so wonderful. Mm-hmm. What was the other thing we were going to talk about? We we're talking about gut health and we we're talking about ashwagandha. And there's one other thing. Um, the post-workout window. <gasps> oh my gosh. Talk to me about the post-workout window. I have had so many athletes ask me it is there is there a protein window is there such a thing as a protein window and i'm like no <laughs> and so like mm-hmm. can, you, can you break that down for me for sure uh yeah it's a hot topic uh and it has been honestly on for decades you know um it's it may be the the uh, most researched area or at least most talked about um when it comes to sports nutrition is what do you have after your workout is there really this anabolic window of opportunity um, and you know, the short answer is like, is kind of, um, the truth, it de- the truth is that it definitely depends on your frequency intensity of exercise in addition to your overall goals. Uh, but just backing up a little bit. So exercise, you know, especially weight training and resistance training stimulates muscle protein synthesis, which, you know, is that process that leads to building muscle. And it does this, um, to the greatest degree you know, immediately after exercise. And so, you know, in order to like take advantage of that to really maximize the, the effects from your workout and gain muscle, you know, it's, it's right. It's been theorized that you need this high protein meal within one hour finishing a workout. And if you don't have, you know, high protein meal within that one hour, your workout goes to waste and you're not going to gain muscle. Uh, and so that's, that's not, that's not true. Right. That's so I think, um, basically you need to make sure that you have some available amino acids within this this period, I would say a couple hours before, a couple hours after your workout. Amino acids, just the, the components of, of protein. So I think a lot of the research that has like looked at, you know, this, this post-workout window and says like, okay, it's definitely best to have something within an hour after your workout. A lot of the subjects they actually looked at with that research entered the training session in a fasted state, like directly from sleeping, like they woke up, they did their training, they had their shake. And so, yeah, they didn't have any amino acids in their system going into that session. So it makes sense that they would see, right, this, this like anabolic favorable effect um, uh, when they had post, when, when they had protein right after their workout. But now they're starting to look at, okay, well, that, you know, begs the question, well, what does it mean if you have if you had protein in your, in your meal beforehand, right? Most people have some protein in, in their pre-workout meal. You know, of course you don't want too much. And so overall, it seems anabolic effect of a meal lasts about five to six hours. So if your pre-exercise meal has some protein in it, you know, and if that was a couple hours beforehand, you're going to be able to use those amino acids to pretty much take advantage of that muscle protein synthesis um, and that's going to be helpful. And then if you have some afterwards, that's also going to be helpful, but it's not just, it's not essential to have uh, protein high amounts right after. I will say though, you don't want, you don't want to go too long, right? Cause there is that muscle protein 
synthesis that you do want to take a little bit advantage of, but just to make things practical, um, keeping you know 20 to 40 grams, I would say, of protein within a couple hours after your training sessions, especially if your goal is to build muscle, uh, would be my recommendation. I want to keep talking about um, athletes with you because I think that if if athletes can understand um, the philosophies that you teach, I think it's going to help a lot of people to understand how they can not only address their health in a way that's going to make it less painful, more you know, more enjoyable to play their sport, but also like they're going to play better, they're going to perform better. Yes. Yep. You got it. Um, yeah. I would. I would love to continue to talk about athletes. You know, it is. It is. <laughs> you know, maybe I'm biased, but for sure my favorite. Uh, clientele and group and um i think it makes sense for i mean you too with your experience so i think we can get into some really juicy stuff and um it, yeah and ultimately helpful right I, that's that's why we're doing this <laughs>